Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. (laughs) At the risk of it sounding political out of the gate, I just couldn't help but laugh. And I'm not laughing at the president at all. I'm just, his stream of consciousness when he's doing a campaign rally, I don't even know what he was talking about. He's like, I had it, I'm better. My wife had it, she's better. Baron had it, he's better. Oh, and he's tall. I look at Baron, I have to like look at up, up at him to talk. And then he just starts talking about something else. Just complete <laughs> random. Like, Baron, he's my youngster, he's 14, he's tall. Honestly, though, somebody should get Baron a basketball because he is tall. I mean, that that dude could play in the NBA at this rate. He's fourteen. He's like six foot seven. That's tall. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Happy to have you along. You want to be part of the show? You can do so on the Ceasefire text line. The number is six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Certainly. Thinking about our friends, our neighbors, in some cases our family members, uh, and our listeners who are on the Mississippi Gulf Coast as uh, Hurricane Zeta is approaching New Orleans. It is expected to make landfall in the not-too-distant future, uh, next couple of hours, I think. And it looks like there's going to be some impact along the uh, southern part of the state of Mississippi, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I just want you to know that we're thinking about you. I uh, hope that you have made whatever preparations are necessary. I'm sure some of you have uh, chosen to evacuate, and uh, maybe you're listening in a different part of the state of Mississippi, or uh, you've gone even to another state, and you're keeping it locked into Super Talk Mississippi for uh, news updates. We certainly will bring any of those to you that uh, pop up along the way throughout the course of the afternoon and in the uh, in the coming days. Guys, what's up? Yeah, man, I don't know what the people of Louisiana did to deserve uh, what they've gotten this hurricane season, but here we are again. Yes, and different path than what we've seen a couple of times already where uh, it felt like St. Charles, uh, not um, Lake Charles was kind of the the point. This is a little farther to the east, not that they won't get wind and rain and flooding in some of those areas that have already been uh, hit pretty hard, but... uh, and we're, we're, aren't we kind of looking at New Orleans like direct hit? Yeah, um, luckily, if you want to call it that, as all of you know, New Orleans is inland from, especially this path, there is a, a body of land between landfall and New Orleans, but it'll still be a Category 1 possibly and then some by the time it hits New Orleans. So just uh, obviously, you know, breaking news here, not good at all. It just um, It's just unfortunate. Uh, those people down there and then of course I mean we got a texture on the text line from Aaron um, they're doing some preparation in Gulfport today so um, it's yeah. just just brutal just uh, just trying to get ready certainly trying to uh, get ready hey dad what's up uh, 
Another busy day here in Starkville. A lot of comings and goings, as you might say. Yes, uh, appears to be more goings than comings right now. At this time, that is correct, yeah. All right, get us up to speed on uh, what has happened today. Uh, three more players are out. Junior wide receiver Tyrell Shavers, uh, junior uh, defensive end Trey Lawson, and freshman linebacker Jamari Stewart. Of all, uh, They're no longer with the team. They'll hit the portal uh, shortly enough. All right, what does this mean? Well, I mean, two of those guys didn't play. So, you know, it doesn't really mean anything short term. Uh, you know, Shavers was, he played a good bit, but uh, he never really, you know, he was he was maybe the fifth wide receiver in the rotation. Had a good game against LSU, but uh, didn't have a catch against Texas A&M. So just like everything else with MSU's offense, he just sort of regressed. Um, and there's more to come, according to Mike Leach. That's what he said on today's uh, SEC teleconference, that he, he will not be surprised or shocked if, if there are more departures uh, coming for Mississippi State, so there, there's just going to be. It's going to look different, you know. The, the <laughs> roster is going to take a, a a big makeover. It looks like at this point. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Um, Mike Leach told us what two three weeks ago that there was going to be a bit of a purge and that they were going to get rid of some of the malcontents and they were going to figure out who wanted to be there and who didn't want to be there. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing on the be there not be there part. I, I, I've, I'm looking at this from two different angles, hey Dad, because there, there's, there is an angle where you look at this and you go, and that's a lot of departures from your football team in, in a short amount of time, and it's really hard to spin that as a positive. So, so let's stop there for a second because I, I do think there is an element of that that goes along with what's happening. Yeah, I mean. There are some positives to take because if you, people aren't bought in, if not everybody's, you know, I hate, I, I hate, we're about to jump on some severe coaching cliches here, but if everybody's not pulling the rope in the same direction, I know you're familiar with that one, uh, you know, you can't win. So obviously there was a culture issue at Mississippi State. John Cohen alluded to it when he, when he made the decision to let Joe Moorhead go. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they, they've got to get everybody on the same page. Um, and if you listen to what Mike Leach is telling you today, Outside of Galen, uh, Galen, I, I made him into one player, Galen Schraden, uh, mm-hmm. Garrett Schrader or Jalen Maiden, if you listen to Mike Leach and what he's saying, these guys weren't, they didn't just drop off the map and say they wanted to go. And it's, it's pretty obvious that they are, they are, these are involuntary departures. Um, and like I said, I expect a few more. I expect some more just in terms to be like Schrader and Maiden. Guys who just don't have a fit here. I mean, Mississippi State yeah. still has three tight, three or four tight ends on the roster. Those guys are going to have to find something else to do because it, it's not happening for them at Mississippi State. There are some wide receivers. Think about this offense and the wide receivers and how you want to rotate them. And there are still guys who aren't playing. Guys who are in their second, third year in Starkville. So they're, you know, they're, they're going to probably find their way to the door as well. And then MSU will, you know, bring in a full class. You know, that's one thing about this is that you know State is supposed to be under the eighty under eighty three. Because of the NCAA uh, sanctions against them uh, with uh, with the the academic stuff last year, but because of the because of COVID and allowing for extra eligibility, state's going to be able to get around that. It looks like so they'll sign a full class. They'll hit the transfer portal up for some guys. I would expect that quarterback to be on the list of transfers because otherwise you're going into the season with Will Rogers and two true freshmen next year. I don't know if that's the way you want to go. Uh, sure. But yeah, it, it, it's getting made over. There's no question about that. So. Uh, again, there there's a piece of this where you look at it and you go, it's not great 
to to lose right. seven guys in a week. But and I think this is part of what you were getting at, and, and I I honestly believe that this is kind of what we're seeing. And I feel like it has kind of started with Kylan Hill, although I guess we don't technically officially still have a what was there an official word on that or is that just AL.com and ESPN reporting? Leach said at the teleconference today that he hasn't spoken to him and they wish him well and he anticipates him. Yeah. He's not on the he's not on the team anymore. He's not playing football at Mississippi. He's State not on anymore. the team. It's, it's done. It's over. But it's not there has not been a release by anybody. Which that, that's the only thing you're waiting on. Leach yeah. told it, you today all you need to know. They haven't spoken. He's not playing for them anymore. I yeah. agree with okay. that. Okay. So so there you go. The point that I was going to make, or what I was saying, was it feels like it started with Kylan Hill. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got the ball rolling on this. And it's almost like, in some ways, Mike Leach was kind of taking the approach of, okay, we'll, we'll see if we can kind of navigate our way through this. And then once it became evident that there was going to be the need to purge, as he said, he just drew a line in the sand, mm-hmm. and, and and again, I'm connecting dots here. He drew a line in the sand and said, you're either with us and you're going to do it our way, or you're not and you're gone, and you need to make up your mind pretty darn quickly because yeah. this pirate ship is headed in one direction, and I'm the captain, and you're going to do what I say. I mean, if you're sick, would you rather be well or would you rather just, you know, suffer for a long, long time? If there's a problem, you have to take care of it as quickly as you possibly can. That appears to be the case that Mike Leach w- may have been through the first three weeks was like, maybe we can get through this. And he reached a point where he said, no, we can't. We have to do what we have to do right now for the, for the program, short term and long term. And so these guys, they're going to have to go. Drawing a business analogy here. Um, I had some advice that, um, a guy who had been very, very successful and had run a company gave to me one time. And he said, the second you know that an employee has to go, yes, for whatever reason, whether they've done something wrong, whether you're having to downsize, whether you're not pleased with their production, whatever it is, the second you know that somebody's got to go, you are doing them and yourself a disservice for every minute you keep them on beyond that point. I can't agree more. And I think that's got to be the case, with, or or at least the way that Mike Leach is looking at this. This is, in a lot of ways, because of all the circumstances surrounding the season, a throwaway year. Throwaway is probably not the right way to describe it, but it is a year that is different than any other, and in a lot of ways is pretty inconsequential. And so you've got to start down the road of getting your culture, of getting the roster set the way you want it to, because the longer you wait to actually get it that way, the longer it's going to take to get to the the type of roster you want to play. So a little bit of a mixed bag on it's necessary, but it's not a great look. Sports Talk Mississippi. So most of the Southeastern Conference cross-country teams are headed to Baton Rouge for the SEC Cross-Country Championship that is on Friday. So we'll keep an eye on Zeta and certainly hope that it doesn't trend at all to the west. 
Uh, that could be uh, potentially an issue there. I guess if it stays on the, uh, if it stays on the track that it's on right now, then probably they get some rain and some wind, and I guess there could be some damage in Baton Rouge, but maybe not to the point that um, you got any kind of a cancellation there. Although it is a little disconcerting to be sending 13 programs to Baton Rouge to get ready for the cross country championship while um, you got a storm bearing down 60 miles to the east. Yeah, especially the teams that are coming from the east. Yeah. I mean, what is Florida going to do? Fly through it? That's, um, that's interesting. Over it? Around it? I guess. We got to ask our guy Kelso on the coast who flies these things what it's like taking an airplane through or above a hurricane. And some of the images of this storm as it has made its way from the Gulf of Mexico toward uh, Louisiana and Mississippi and whatnot have been. I, I mean, like they're, they're, they're there's almost a weird beauty to them, but yeah. you know there's so much power and so much damage. But some of the satellite photographs from this have been uh, just absolutely remarkable. Um. I do want to take a little bit different angle in our conversation with regard to the the departures at Mississippi State. We've all kind of settled on the idea that when you have a coaching change, there's going to be some attrition. And it generally happens everywhere. Sometimes there's early and immediate attrition. Sometimes it's, you know, after a year in a program, kind of figuring out what's going to be what and who's going to land where. And then, like you're having at Mississippi State, you sometimes see it where guys, it's a combination of those things. You have some guys that leave early, some guys that probably leave after the year, but obviously in Starkville, there have been a number of guys bailing out this year. There are four new coaches in the SEC this year. You got Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. And they've had some success on the field. You've got Sam Pittman at Arkansas. They've had some success on the field. You obviously got Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. They're one and four, but have been fun, and people are talking about them in a positive way. And then you get Mississippi State, who's also one and four. There is seemingly little attrition at those first three. That, that we mentioned. I think Ole Miss had one or two players maybe that left before the year began. And my guess would be that after the season, a player like Grant Tisdale, who doesn't really appear to be in the mix at quarterback but was really highly thought of coming out of high school, and I don't know for a fact that this is the case, but it would make sense that he would say, okay, this year didn't count against my eligibility. I want to play somewhere. And maybe you've got other players that fall into that category. So I am curious... Hey, Dad, what do you think is different in Mississippi State and the transformation that they're going through compared to Arkansas, where there appears to be a great deal of buy-in with Sam Pittman, Missouri, where we really haven't seen those stories, and, and Ole Miss, where we haven't seen those stories? What, what do you think the difference is? I think there there is some frustration, obviously, in the way State's lost these last three games and the way, you know, looking ahead to this one as well. But... Mainly, I think that Mike Leach is just a different kind of cat than those guys, man. He, he is definitely a, a my way or the highway kind of guy. Uh, he's always been that way. Um, evidently, you know, Devin, as a result of this, I've done a little look in at, the, at his previous stops, and this is sort of par for the course. You know, he had 
he had a lot of turnover at Washington State that first year while he, you know, sort of set things in his own image there. So um, so I think that's part of it. Um, and then I think, say what you want about Matt Luke, and I, and I could be wrong, but I never got the impression that that was a program that, you know, I, the, the last minute of the Egg Bowl aside, where there were like a lot of disciplinary issues where the, the culture wasn't good. I don't think that you could say the same with Missouri. Arkansas, I mean, I think that was just a losing culture. I don't know if they had a lot of bad apples or anything like that. It, it appears Mississippi State had some deeper culture problems than just winning and losing. And yeah. that's what, you know, like what, that's what John Cohen talked about when he let Moorhead go. That's what he talked about when he hired Mike Leach. And now you're seeing the results of that. And, and, and it's, the timing of it is just weird because if you had a spring, a lot of these guys might have been, been weeded out at that point. And they could have just gone on. And it, it's, it's just the fact that it's happening in the last week of October, at a time when you don't normally see these kind of things, that makes it a little more unusual than it is. But it is unusual, I will say that. And and just to recap or confirm, if you're just joining us, um, a day after three players entered the transfer portal at Mississippi State, there are three more that are on their way out. I think maybe Robbie Falk was the first to report this. Junior wide That's receiver correct. Tyrell Shavers. Junior defensive end Trey Lawson and freshman defensive end Jamari Stewart are all leaving the program. That's seven players that have stepped away in the last week, joining quarterback Garrett Schrader, sophomore quarterback Jalen Maiden, freshman offensive lineman Nick Pendley, and senior running back Kareem Walker. I am curious about the, the freshmen. So with Nick Pendley and now with... Uh, Jamari Stewart. Those are guys that Leach actually recruited, right? Or were part of that signing no. class that he brought in? Uh Penley no. was Penley was a redshirt freshman. So he, okay. was, he was a Moorhead signee. Um uh and Stewart, yes, yeah, Stewart would have been part of. And he Stewart was actually a late addition to that class, so he is a true Leach recruit. He wasn't a guy who uh signed with Moorhead and and then came on board. Gotcha. Gotcha. Certainly speculating on names would, would be irresponsible at this point. But when you said a second ago that Leach, or I, Borky, I guess you said that a second ago, that Leach alluded in his uh, Wednesday media availability on the SEC teleconference that he thought there would be more. Hey, did you get an idea as to how many more and, and how much longer this goes on? Is it a, a, a trickle for the remainder of the year? Do you think it's, you know... This week, next week, and then you kind of get to, okay, these are going to be the guys? What, what do you think? Difficult to say. Um, but that said, if I'm going to play the speculatory game, I, I would expect a couple of more before the end of the season. And I think once you get to December, then you'll see maybe three or four more after that. And that should hopefully would be the end of it, because at that point we're talking about what? Double digits. 15 guys, yeah. So you don't want to go much deeper into the well than that, I would think. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, like I said, if you look at state's roster and you look at some of the guys, you know, I'll throw a name out. I got like Brad Cumbus, not playing very much. He's a tight end. He's not going to be a big part of the system no matter what, but he's got baseball to fall back on. So does he, you know, say he might be a guy who leaves the football team, but stays at Mississippi state to play baseball. Don't know that Hmm. for sure. The other tight ends got like George Quarry, Spivey or, or Powers Warren, you know, those guys are true tight ends, and, and there's just I don't know that there's really a spot for them in this offense. So they might look to get out, and it has nothing to do with Mike Leach at that point other than his offensive system. It's not a, that's not those won't, those won't be culture departures. Those will just be playing time. They'll be the good old-fashioned standard-issue departures at that point. Yeah. Borky, poll question? 
Yeah, it's going to be a simple one. Should Mississippi State fans be concerned with the midseason departures? Hey, Dan, how would you vote on that? Like, if if the answer was yes, you should be concerned, or no, you should options, not be concerned. It'll be very concerned, moderately concerned, not at all. Moderately concerned. It's a it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of players, uh, especially you know losing Schrader and Maiden. You got two scholarship quarterbacks right now. You know, if somebody gets hurt, you could be you could really be up. You know, you know what creek with no paddle. So, I mean, it's concerning. Anytime you lose play- Shavers, I thought was a talented player. This is a guy who was a four star kid when he came when he signed with Mississippi State in the summer. We all talked about, hey, he's going to be a big addition to this offense. You know, he couldn't get on the field of Alabama because he was behind all those first rounders. But now it's his time to shine, and he, he looked good in the LSU game. I thought he was going to be a big time player for MSU. So you know, it is, you never you never get better short term by losing talented players. Long term, you just have to see what happens. All right, uh, C Spire text line. A lot of uh, reaction from you. Six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Let's see a name here. This is uh, Mississippi State downhill spiral, and two players have left the program, and you have to blame the head coach. Now John Cohen needs to step in and do something. Mike Leach needs to be one of those that exits. Clearly not on the Mike Leach bandwagon at this point. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, Lucas and Union says if state fans are upset now, just wait till Leach has his offense doing push-ups on the sidelines after going three and out when they're up twenty-one to nothing. Did that happen? I don't know. Right, apparently, this did, one's yeah. interesting. If a high school coach in the state of Mississippi feels like you did one of his former players wrong, you don't have to worry about getting any more of his players in the future. I mean, there's something to that. I think you would find the majority of these guys who have been uh, who are leaving the team were not done wrong, though. Strider in Indianola says the difference in the perception of Ole Miss and Mississippi State right now is that at Ole Miss they're winning and competing. Well, winning, I mean, close. They're competing. They have the same number of wins. Yeah, they are more competitive and they're more they're more entertaining. You know, you don't. It's losing twenty four to two. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi, more coming up. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. We will be joined uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour by Kelly Richardson, who is a meteorologist and public information officer with MEMA, the Mississippi Emergency Management Association. Uh, Look forward to uh, hearing from her. We've gotten uh, a couple of messages from folks in Gulfport uh, who are dealing currently with 30-ish mile-an-hour sustained winds. Uh, We've got a message from uh, someone who said they have a, uh, a child that is a student at Perk down on the uh, on the coast, and that they've got the power going in and out. Dorms are running on backup generators and uh, and whatnot. So we'll get uh, about an hour from now. Uh, in fact, exactly an hour from uh, right now, we'll talk with Kelly and uh, get an update on uh, impact for the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I did see an update from uh, NOLA.com just a little while ago that uh, Hurricane Zeta has strengthened to a near Category 3 storm as it moves closer to a Louisiana landfall this afternoon. Currently, maximum sustained winds are at 110 miles an hour. To go to Category 3, you would have to have sustained winds exceeding 111 miles per hour. So we're kind of in potato, potato, tomato, tomato right now with Category 2, Category 3. 
Uh, as of 3 p.m., so about 40 minutes ago, Zeta was located 160 miles south-southwest of New Orleans and about 60 miles southwest of Grand Isle. And uh, the storm is moving to the north-northeast at uh, 22 miles per hour. So really, if, if things continue as they are right now, we're looking at uh, landfall uh, around Grand Isle, uh, which I know for uh, some of you who fish and love to go on fishing trips inshore, offshore, etc., um, that is an area that you are quite familiar with. Um, and then you're talking about kind of moving north in the direction of uh, New Orleans from there. So what uh, landfall at Grand Isle by the time we finish up the show this afternoon and then sometime later this evening uh, looking at uh, Zeta making its way uh, into uh, New Orleans. So that's kind of uh, what's on the horizon right now. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at uh, supertalk.fm. We are glad to have you along for the ride. World Series came to a conclusion last night. Hey, Dad, you you nailed it. Pearl River Resort, pick of the day. Got another one right. We're on a roll, buddy. Tried so hard to reverse jinx that. Couldn't pull it off. You you gave uh, gave it the old college try. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things that stand out. If you are not an analytics guy, Tim Kirkjian, after the game on SportsCenter's wrap-up of the World Series, decidedly speaking out against this, saying that baseball has become a game that we don't recognize, that we've lost all feel for the game, that managerial decisions are now based on what a computer somewhere says as opposed to actual feel. And there is a huge amount of second-guessing the decision to pull Blake Snell from that ballgame after uh, giving up, what, a one-out single in the fifth inning. Snell was pulled from the game. He had been magnificent to that point. Had struck out nine. Obviously, the uh, the heart of the order was coming up for um, the Dodgers in that sixth inning. Snell does not take the loss. Nick Anderson, who they brought in out of the bullpen, does. Snell went five and a third. He gave up two hits, one of them in the sixth inning. He allowed one earned run. He only threw 73 pitches. Borky, you are not going to remember this reference, I don't think. Hey, Dad, you will. I'm going to be off on the year. 1991, is it 91 or 92? Atlanta Braves, Minnesota Twins. 91. Game 7 of the World Series, Jack Morris on short rest pitching into the 10th inning on guts and grit and just want to. That doesn't happen in today's Major League Baseball game. I mean, Because of analytics, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays pulled his pitcher in the sixth inning after giving up two hits, striking out nine on just 73 pitches. I don't care what your stupid computer says. That is as dumb as a sack of hammers. 
analytics five years ago that uh, the Giants, you know, think about Bumgarner. Oh, game five, so complete game shutout, and then came back in game seven and pitched five and two-thirds of relief to get the, the win, to win a championship. I, I, I get analytics. I do, and I understand that. But this is the last game of the season, all right? If he's a little worn down, well, he's got plenty of time to come back and, and rehab from that. You can't make that move there. You just can't. You've got to do what you – I understand that's the, what brought you there, but you, there's somebody has – I'm, I, I gotta say it, man. Hand raise guy. Somebody's gotta raise it. Like, hey, he's he's dealing. Let's let's ride this a little while longer. And and they're gonna point to well, we look at Snell's numbers and the third time through the batting order, and oh, this batting. Oh, really? Because it was gonna be better when you brought Nick Anderson in. Nick Anderson, who allowed one inherited runner to score in the regular season the entire year, but they have absolutely worn him out in the postseason, and he's given up at least a run in every appearance he's made in the playoffs. That's your solution? Let's take the guy out who's got nine strikeouts and has thrown 73 pitches. Let's pull him so that we can go to a different guy. Great managing. Great managing. So, help. what do the analytics say about a situation like that? What do they say? They say pull him, because third time through the order, he's not as good. It's. I mean, Mark Teixeira was talking about it after the game last night. And also, Corey Seager, who was the MVP, was interviewed, and his reaction was almost the same. Carl Ravitch asked Mark Teixeira, what would your reaction be? He goes, are you kidding me? He's like, that guy's been shoving it? For the first five innings and three, four, five in the lineup or a combined 0 for 6, we're high-fiving in the dugout with a smile that, that stretches from ear to ear. Well, but, you know, third time through the order, he goes, that guy's killed us tonight. What are you talking about third time <laughs> through the order? Yeah. He's throwing 97, locating it. It's got a wipeout slider. Yeah, It's a third time through the order. Hey, you got Texas. professional hitters. Maybe we get hits. Maybe we don't. But we're high fiving because we get to see somebody other than the guy who's done nothing but strike out three, four, and five the first two times through the order. Corey Seager was asked about it after the game. What'd you think? <laughs> we were excited. That guy was nasty tonight. Yeah. This text nails it right here. It's six six from the six six two. The analytics aren't the issue. It's the people who you think who think you should blindly rely on them are the issue. Yeah. And that's correct. Analytics are a fantastic tool. Yes. I get that. But there has to be that moment of, you know, they've been playing baseball for 150 years or whatever it is. You got you guys got to know, hey, no, he's going to take, you know, we'll, we'll let him get into trouble before we, we talk about getting him out of the game. He, he walks the leadoff guy. Okay, maybe we can talk about it. But no. No. He gave up a base hit up the middle, and I mean, it looked like Cash was shot out of the dugout, was like right, waving his right arm. He didn't go out to talk to his guy. It was predetermined. And then defending it after the game, too. I mean, look, everybody likes to defend decisions they make. I certainly do all the time. Ask my wife. But um, there's something, too, just sitting down and saying, I shouldn't have pulled him. Trying to defend that kind of indefensible decision post game is. Not good. I mean, it, it's what they've done all year. I mean, Tampa's one of those teams that absolutely lives by the and analytics. I get that. And they got to the World Series. They're in Game Six of the World Series. Yeah. I get that, but 
This is the. But it's Game Six the, of the World Series. Game Six of the World Series, right? This is this isn't you know a July weekend in in Milwaukee. This is the World Series. You got. And if you lose, make, the season is them. over. And you right. lost, and the season is over. But hey, Blake Snell gonna be ready to go when you get to spring training in March. I don't think the blowback would be as hard if people were like, "Well, normally they would pull him there." I don't know why they didn't do that. And he was dealing. You, you got to ride the hot hand. I, and that's an easy explanation. Well, why didn't you pull him? The numbers tell you. Yes, we rely heavily on the numbers, but we're in Game 6 of the World Series, and I've been around the game of baseball a long time, and sometimes you've got to trust your gut. And I didn't believe there was anything that we could bring out of the bullpen that was better than what we had on the mound based on what he had done, where he was pitch count-wise, where his velocity was, where the movement was on his slider. And if I've got to live with I pulled him too late versus I took him out before I should have, and that's what cost us the World Series, then I'll live with that. So be it. And you know what? All those guys on ESPN and Fox and everywhere else that were killing Cash after the game for what he did, they would have applauded it. They would say, look, the decision didn't work out. But that's a manager that gets it. Instead, you're like, meh, whatever. Hey, Do the Rays the way, win if he stays in? Who knows? I mean, the Dodgers are great this year. Best team in baseball. They might still win. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We got a couple of messages. One was, uh, we're talking about the uh, Game 7 of the World Series, the decision to pull Blake Snell. Dodgers get the win first time in 30 Four years? Is that right? 33? 34? 32. 32. Sorry. Yeah, 32 years. 1988. Good good quick math there, Richard. boy. Um, this one said, shorten the leash, sure, but don't put your best dog in the kennel before the hunt is over. Good way to describe it. Kevin, as part of the analytics conversation, says, I just want to know how many fourth downs we have to miss before analytics tells Lane Kiffin to kick a field goal. <laughs> I did think his explanation, and it wasn't really the question that I asked, but he took it in this direction on Saturday after the game, was interesting. He said he didn't really mind not converting on a fake field goal. He said, because there's no guarantee you're going to make a field goal anyway. And so rolling the dice on a fake field goal is not as big a deal than if you fake punt and don't convert. Because normally if you try to fake punt and you don't convert, you're giving up really good field position. On a fake field goal, if you don't convert, you know, you're probably 30-yard line or in. Um, and he said, you know, part of the issue was the pitch was a little bit low on the fake punt try. I couldn't see it unfold like snap, pitch, etc. I only saw Luke Logan running for his life trying to get to the marker and uh, being ha- having the distance between the defender and him closed quite quickly. <laughs> did, did it look really, really bad on the TV? Um, yes. It, it, okay. it looked like it had, I mean, even if the, the pitch is good at, it wasn't going to work, at least from television's vantage point. I've often talked about this on Sunday. I wonder how much of the fourth down decisions, one, that's just kind of who he is, and he does look at analytics and um, make percentages and stuff like that, but I think there's a 
an element to. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he looked at what he has in a kicker. With all due respect to the young man, who I'm sure works very, very hard. Um, I think it's nice to say that he is unreliable. Um, they, they don't have a very good field goal kicker. And I wonder how much yeah. that is influencing some of these fourth down decisions because, like you just said, there's no guarantee they're making the kick. It'd be different if they had automatic guy from 55 in that was just making all of his kicks like um, like Florida has. Florida's got it. Wasn't it Florida that, or was it Kentucky that has a no, kicker? No, it's Florida. He's Florida. got a dude. It's definitely Florida. 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 Kentucky's missed yeah. a couple. Yeah. So I, I wonder if Kiffin had Florida's kicker that would influence some of his fourth down decisions. Because if you're getting three and you know you're getting three, it's different than you've got a guy that when you roll out there, you're not sure if it's got a chance. Yeah. In fairness, you know, Luke, Luke Logan missed what was a relatively short field goal against Florida. And then he made a one or two against Kentucky. I don't think he has kicked a field goal since the Kentucky game. Alabama made one. Looked really good kicking it, oh, too. that's right. That's right. Made one where the drive just stalled out and they didn't have any choice. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the point that I was going to say. You know, on, on extra points and the opportunities that he has had since that opener. And, and you know, I mean, not that you take that much necessarily from warm-ups. But Logan has looked a lot better than how he did for most of last year and uh, on the kick against Florida. But we'll see. I mean, odds are at some point you're going to need your kicker to make a big kick. And through the years, we've seen that at Alabama where they haven't necessarily had that. Looks like Alabama's got a pretty darn good kicker now. Um, it's taken a while to uh, taken a while to get to that point. Somebody says Ole Miss's defense may apply a factor in it as well. If you're giving up touchdown after touchdown, field goals ain't going to win a game. Yeah, that's another that's true. thing, too. That's true. They have gotten better. Now, part of it is because they're playing offenses that aren't as good, but wouldn't you argue that Auburn and Arkansas are no better offensively than Kentucky? And Kentucky just gashed them. So I think there is something, too, that they are getting a little bit better defensively. Are they good? No. Are they playing wide receivers a defensive back? Yeah, and he looked okay doing it. But um, they did play better better the last for, couple For of the weeks. most part. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, there's going to be some growing pains. I mean, but, there there was that Seth Williams touchdown where yeah, there were two guys yeah. and neither. Uh, well, one of them ran, ran out of bounds. Just, you know, thought the receiver was on the mm. sideline, I guess. But they have gotten a little bit better over the next couple of weeks. Are they still going to give up a ton of points and yards? Probably so. They are at least a little bit more reliable than they were back in Lexington. In fairness, the three games in which they've looked competent defensively were against Kentucky, Arkansas, and Auburn, who offensively are not great. Yeah. Florida and Alabama are elite offensively. And guess what? They're going to put up a bunch of points and a bunch of yards on a lot of people. We'll see. I mean, if, by the way, if that's your theory, then Ole Miss's defense should look really good this weekend against Vanderbilt. Maybe elite. Maybe elite. Perhaps even elite. Four o'clock hour starts next with you. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. You want to be part of the conversation? You can do just that on the C Spire text line. That number is 601 601- 
879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle. Backed by real support, see how C Spire can power your success today online at cspire.com slash business. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Um, Wisconsin and Nebraska has been called off this weekend. And shockingly, the Big Ten has a problem. What? No. No. Number nine, Wisconsin has paused all team-related activities for at least seven days due to an elevated number of COVID-19 cases within the program. As a result, the Halloween game against Nebraska has been canceled and will not be made up at a later date. Why not? Well, because you waited until the next to last weekend of October to start the schedule, built in no open dates, and pinned yourself in a position where you would have no chance to make games up. So one week into the Big Ten's 2020 schedule, this becomes the first game to be canceled. A release from the university states that a total of 12 people within the program tested positive for COVID-19 in the past five days, among them six student-athletes, six staff members, including head coach Paul Christ. Quote from Paul Christ, This morning I received the news that I had tested positive via a PCR test I took yesterday. I informed my staff and the team this morning and am currently isolating at home. I had not been experiencing any symptoms and feel good as of this morning. I'm disappointed for our players and coaching staff who put so much into preparing to play each week that the safety of everyone in our program has to be a top priority, and I support the decision made to pause our team activities. Tenth FBS coach to have tested positive, not including Nick Saban. So, what, 95% was the threshold? They, they, they can have no more than 5% of a team testing positive to be able to play? That, and then also local thresholds that apparently they have uh, crossed as well. Yeah, and Wisconsin's in bad shape. Yeah. So Remember, a lot of positive COVID tests in Wisconsin right now. Remember what was written about the Big Ten when they released their second schedule? Not the first schedule, the, the second schedule. Remember what was written? What, about oh, yeah. it being the worst day in the history of the Big Ten well, ever? Besides that, the the more rational of the extreme sports writers... Were they more rational? Are you uh, sure? Well, compared to this is the darkest day in the Big Ten's history, yeah. um, they were praised. Yeah. They took the right approach. They were pragmatic. Mm. All that crap. Um, if the Big Ten never wavers from their initial released schedule, everything's good. Their initial schedule, if you remember, that they scrapped six days later to cancel the season, had built-in bye weeks, started a little bit earlier than the SEC, and they could have pushed it back a couple of weeks and kept everything intact. They had the exact same plan that the SEC is currently executing, and for whatever reason, they decided to scrap it. And now they're in this situation where the season, for lack of a better term, it's kind of screwed. It's really screwed up because you can't play this game and you can't push forward with it. Possibly there's more to come from Wisconsin. The local threshold won't go down in two weeks. So another game's going to get canceled for Wisconsin, and another game's going to get canceled for Wisconsin. And the entire thing is getting blown up right in front of our eyes. And if you believe Dan Patrick's reporting, who he got criticized by the, the wonderful people at The Athletic for his reporting, which he nailed, by the way, 
at every step of the way. He said Wisconsin knew that there was a positive, and they played the kid anyway. That's what he reported earlier today. If that is in fact true, the seasons they're not finishing the season up north. It's not happening. Yeah. The Big Ten, regardless of this, does not belong in the college football playoff this year. They're going to have too many teams that only play six, seven. It's, it's, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So, you know, they should, they should have just taken the year off. It would have killed them, but they weren't going to play a spring schedule. This schedule doesn't work. They just screwed themselves by doing exactly what Borky said there, by, by canceling when they didn't need to, by, by not being patient and waiting it out with the SEC. And now here we are. So it won't be long now before Ohio State has a game canceled. And you cannot put a seven-game team into the college football playoff. You Not when you've got 11 elsewhere. I'll read this from Patrick Verbatim just so I don't get this incorrect. He said this this morning before the news broke. From a source on Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz, likely had COVID prior to last week's game but tested negative. He was at all team activities leading up to the game, so it spread throughout the team. A significant number of positives this week and the game is growing doubtful, it has since uh, been canceled. But that's what Patrick said this morning, that he likely had it, but there was a negative test, so they kept pushing on, even though he likely had it. I don't know why or, or how you come no, to that no, conclusion. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense, but if that's... I mean, Patrick's been right on this. He, his sourcing from the very beginning has nailed everything, really, every step of the way. So if this is something that's going on, it doesn't make sense, but... If he said it, I'm inclined to believe it before it's proven otherwise. The Big Ten... I'm thinking about the way a hurdles race works. So you've got hurdles that are spaced out and they're a certain height. What's the height? 36 inches? I don't know. Like say, I've ever hurdled. Yeah, let's just, say, let's just say it's three feet. Sure. And they're spaced out every 20 yards. The, the Big Ten had to set the hurdles for its own race. And instead of putting them at the customary 36 inches, for the purpose of this analogy, they set them at 60 inches. So instead of jumping over three-foot hurdles you got to jump five-foot hurdles. And in addition to the fact that you got to jump over five-foot hurdles, they space them every five yards apart. Like they, they, they created a race scenario that was going to be impossible to finish. Yes. And for no apparent reason. I mean, why did the Big Ten come back? They, they, they came back because peer pressure is a dirty word. They didn't like being left out. They didn't like having the only kids that weren't getting to go to the party when every other kid's parents said it was fine for them to go, even though they didn't think they needed to go to the party in the first place. But you either got to stand by your beliefs or admit that, you know what, I'm I'm... My, my beliefs were out of line. The party wasn't as bad as I thought the party was going to be, and so, yeah, I'm going to let my kids go. And there's probably too many analogies mixed into one deal, but I think you, you kind of get what I'm saying. 
So when they said, yeah, yeah, kids, you can go to the party, but you, 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 you can't dress like the other kids and your curfew's two hours earlier, whatever. Enough with the analogy. They made it impossible to succeed. I mean, this, this 21 day quarantine for a positive test. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there were some geniuses in the Big Ten that told you you had to follow the science, trust the science. Remember the day I went off about the whole science thing? I'm not going to do that again. But there's no science, there's no medical evidence, there's no information anywhere that suggests 21 days is a necessary quarantine time. That's over double what is suggested. It's over double the guidelines from the CDC. It makes no sense. But, I mean, hey, they got a weekend. And they'll play some games this week. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin-Nebraska is going to be done. Maybe you have a few teams that are able to get eight games in. Seems a little unlikely. I just... They got a mess. And they got a mess because they had poor leadership from the outset. And they weren't willing to stick to what they thought was important. Other college football news, Miles Brennan likely out again this week against Auburn. That feels like good news for LSU. If he plays well again, I don't care what Orgeron says, he's the starter moving forward. And I have a feeling he will play well. Yeah, but Kevin Steele may present some issues that South Carolina didn't. You're talking about one of the really brilliant defensive minds. It's calling plays. Muschamp is not a slouch on defense. You're right. That's a good point. It's a good point. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Pretty awful story coming out of New York involving former Ole Miss basketball player Terrence Davis. Obviously, is all alleged right now, but he was arrested last night. Toronto Raptors guard Terrence Davis, who just finished up an outstanding rookie season in which he played in all 72 games for the Toronto Raptors. One of the best rookies in the league, arrested after he allegedly punched his ex-girlfriend in the face multiple times. Law enforcement sources told TMZ that Davis was staying with his ex-girlfriend at the Beekman Tower in Midtown Manhattan when the two got into an argument. Unclear what prompted the dispute, but sources say things got out of hand quickly with allegedly Davis punching the woman in the face repeatedly. Altercation reportedly escalated further when the ex-girlfriend refused to stop filming Davis with her phone and he allegedly grabbed it and shattered the screen. Police were eventually called. They arrested the 23-year-old NBA player, booking him on misdemeanor assault and misdemeanor criminal mischief charges. 
The alleged ex-girlfriend was taken to the hospital after complaining of swelling and pain in her left eye, treated and released. Yuck. Yeah. Um, I mean, not Yuck good. on a bunch of levels. Not good's the understatement of the century. I mean, if what is alleged is true, that's something that should never happen. Um, and you hope he can get the help he needs to to never do something like that again on a more superficial, less important level. Um, for on the Ole Miss side of things, that was something that the program was missing was an NBA presence, somebody that they could point to to recruits and say, "Hey, you know this guy came to Ole Miss. Look at him now." And that was that they promoted the heck out of Terrence Davis as they should have, because yeah. here's a guy that wasn't an NBA player. Kermit Davis comes in. Now he's in the running for Rookie of the Year, coming off the bench for the NBA champions, the reigning NBA champions, and playing well in good minutes. Now you can do that at Ole Miss as well, and it's possible, if these are all true, that he never steps foot on an NBA floor again. He's The thing about situations like this is some guys aren't able to come back in professional sports from doing something egregious like that, but when you're just a role player, you don't get those opportunities. So that that recruiting tool may have been taken away from them for however impactful you think it is. And there are people that will be like, oh, TMZ's the one reporting. They, uh, TMZ gets a lot right. They tend to get it right, yeah. And and if you just want to brand TMZ as the National Enquirer, you're not really doing it right. Now, are some of their methods for gathering information perhaps a little nefarious? Yeah, maybe. But they tend to at least get a big part of it right. Um. Yeah. First of all, just on the surface, this is terrible. I mean, I I don't care what the argument was. You've seen Terrence Davis. Yeah, it looks like he's chiseled out of granite. And, I mean, unless unless nothing, you're talking about professional athlete, brute strength, big, strong. And if indeed he was punching someone in the face repeatedly, his ex-girlfriend, it's just so bad. I don't even care what the explanation is. Like even even if there is an explanation, I don't care what it is. There's no explanation that makes that okay. I mean, you know, outside of she, I'm I'm not even gonna make something up. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, just just leave it there, yeah. But there is almost no explanation that makes it okay. Um, yeah, people are smart enough no, to understand the exceptions without us having to go over them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to create. Uh, number two. Man, you want to talk about just whizzing your future right down the drain? I mean, Terrence Davis gambled on himself, turned down a couple of opportunities, got a two-year deal from the Toronto Raptors that was a decent deal. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it certainly wasn't big NBA money. It was a great living. And then performed 
way outperformed his contract and was going to be rolling into year two with one of the three or four best coaches in the NBA and Nick Nurse with a great surrounding cast. And after this next season, Terrence Davis was either going to get paid by the Toronto Raptors because they really thought he was a valuable piece of their team or somebody else was going to pay Terrence Davis big money to come be a part of their team, their franchise. And so that piece of it's gone. And, Borky, your point about the, the Ole Miss angle is a good one as well. Ole Miss had gotten a lot of mileage out of through the Ole Miss basketball account on Twitter. I mean, they were putting Terrence Davis highlights up almost after almost every game because he was making highlights almost every game. And you're right. It was a big deal. I mean, Kentucky's got 37 guys to choose from, and they can talk about the over a billion dollars in contracts or over $2 billion in contracts that have been signed by former Cal players at Kentucky. They can do that. Almost got one. And making like a million bucks a year. Which again, great money. Not Anthony Davis money. Not Carl Anthony Towns money. Not just the list goes on and on and on and on and on when you're talking about Kentucky. But great money. And becoming a recognizable name in the NBA. Got votes for Rookie of the Year. He did. Deservedly so. And then number three, or maybe number four, Obviously, the the details of the story have to come out. The police report has to come out. Regardless of what happens career-wise for Terrence Davis going forward, he will forever wear a scarlet letter. He might not ever play in, in the NBA again. But if he does, he will always be... Terrence Davis, great rookie season that also got arrested for punching his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend in the face multiple times in New York City. That's never going away. Will an NBA team take a chance on him somewhere along the way? Who knows? I mean, professional sports is a pretty forgiving world. Did Greg Hardy get another shot in the NFL? Post yeah, the Cowboys pick him up? Yeah, in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. He got another chance. I mean, Ray Lewis made it back to the NFL. He never quite left. successfully, mind you. He never left. Yeah. So be it. Did Ray Rice ever get another chance? No, no, he did not. It was possible, you know and then the video came out. I was say, yeah, I was say, you know why Ray Rice never yeah. got another chance? Because there was video. So if this alleged cell phone video ever gets out, That's and nice. it's as bad as it's made out to be, then he's done forever. Yeah, it's me, and, and I, I really hate this because I always liked Terrence Davis, and he was—he seemed like a pretty good dude. I hate it for him. If this is true, I would be um, disingenuous at best, hypocritical at worst, 
I didn't say the exact same thing that I had said about other situations involving domestic violence. He doesn't deserve to play again. I don't know if he will or not. My, my hope would be that this is an erroneous report. Probably not real likely. My next they hope do would be happen, that though, if indeed... Right. They, they do happen. My next hope would be if this is a true report... Even though there's nothing that it can explain it away, maybe there's some sort of an explanation. And then Terrence Davis can go and get help with, with whatever it is that he needs, whether it's anger management or there's something else related to this story. But, I mean, the facts of this are just pretty, you know, they are what they are. There was a disagreement and it escalated to the point where he was punching his ex-girlfriend in the face multiple times. Feel pretty comfortable saying he doesn't deserve to play again. And that stinks. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. As promised on the Farm Bureau phone line right now, Kelly Richardson joins us from the Mississippi Emergency Management Association. She is a meteorologist and public information officer with MEMA. Kelly, really appreciate you joining us on uh, on kind of short notice this afternoon. I think Hurricane Zeta has now officially made landfall in uh, in South Louisiana, kind of bordering on a Category 2, Category 3, right at 110 miles an hour. What do we need to know right now, especially as it pertains to Mississippi? Yes, yeah, so you got it. It made landfall in southeast Louisiana a little after four. If there's any good news with this storm, it's that it's moving very quickly at around 24, 25 miles per hour. So the worst of the storm isn't going to last too terribly long. But unfortunately, along the coast, conditions are deteriorating, and we are expecting things to be a little bad. Those strong winds as well as spin-up tornadoes, possible flooding, now through about midnight. What's the, the time frame for, and I know we've gotten some reports out of, out of Gulfport in particular where the winds are already in the, I don't know, 25 to 35 mile an hour range and, and there's some rain, but in terms of uh, significant impact for the Mississippi Gulf Coast, what's our timeline? You know, I think as we head closer to right past sunset, 7, 8 o'clock, that's when we could get those gusts above 74 miles per hour, definitely, but even pushing 90 in some spots. It feels like this always happens at night. I mean, I know it's not actually that way, but it's like, why does it always have to be once it gets dark? It would make it easier if we could do this during the daytime hours. I know, absolutely. I feel the exact same way. And it does add a little bit of a tricky factor to it because it is dark, you know. We don't want people out and about. We want everyone to hunker down because the fact that it is dark makes the storm even that much more dangerous. Kelly, um, in terms of precautions, preparations, you alluded we want people to stay inside. But kind of walk us through, uh, certainly the Mississippi Gulf Coast is is no stranger to hurricane season. This year's or in years gone by. And so I know a lot of people kind of know the drill. But for those who need a reminder, what do you say to the folks on the Gulf Coast? At this point, just 
stay in place. Stay where you are. Wait this storm out. By the time we get to tomorrow morning, things will be much, much better because it is such a fast-moving storm. But because of the strong winds associated with data, we are expecting pretty widespread power outages. So absolutely prepare for that as well. But just hunker down. That's the best advice I can give right now. And and in terms of power outages, have some of those already begun because of the, the wind? Yes, beginning to see more and more um, outages roll in, and we expect those numbers to continue to go up as the evening progresses. Kelly, just help me out here. Are we deeper? I mean, obviously, the number of named storms, the fact that we're five or six letters into the the Greek alphabet shows you that that it's gone deeper than than most years. But in terms of on the calendar, are, are we normally still dealing with hurricane season at the end of October? Um. We are. If you look back at 2005, actually, we had named storms all the way into December. But this is a little bit odd. In fact, I just read a a fact about Zeta that it made landfall 110 miles per hour, and that was actually the strongest hurricane to make landfall along the U.S. continental um, states since 1899, this late in the calendar year. So it is a little unusual that we are seeing this extensive of a storm so late in the season. And I promise I'm not trying to drag you into a climate change conversation, but is there something specific about what's going on in the Gulf of Mexico and extended farther out into the Atlantic Ocean that has made this such a busy hurricane season that, again, we went through 26 letters of the alphabet, and now I guess we're six deep into the Greek alphabet? Yeah, this is definitely a record-breaking year, no doubt. We were kind of expecting it to be above average because we were moving into a La Nina. So that means that we are seeing warmer surface water temperatures. But Again, not to drag it into a climate change issue, but it definitely is extreme. And um, this is an extreme year, not only in regards to hurricanes, but other weather events as well. Obviously, wind damage is something that uh, that we worry about. We always worry about flooding, potential for storm surge. Is it far enough away from Mississippi where it's initially making landfall that that is less of a concern with Zeta, or is that something that, that folks on the Mississippi Gulf Coast really need to be wary of? I think they really need to be wary of that with this one because we always talk about the positioning of the main impacts in the right, front right quadrant of the storm system just northeast of the eye wall, and that's in the bullseye of the Mississippi Gulf Coast with this storm. So the highest storm surge, strongest winds, heaviest rain as well. So just need to keep your guard up through this evening and into tonight. In the event, Kelly, that people find themselves uh, without power for an extended amount of time, if there's significant home damage, what resources are in place to uh, to help folks along the Mississippi Gulf Coast as we get into tomorrow and through the rest of the week? Well, we will be out there, MEMA, after the storm rolls through. We'll be doing damage assessments along with the local county EMA directors trying to assess the damage. We also work with volunteer organizations to help if people are in need of help. So there will be resources out there after the storm if people will be in need. And and one last time, Kelly emphasized just a second ago, at this point, your best plan of action is to stay pl- uh, stay put, get get somewhere yep. safe, Try to stay out of the way. Kelly, I know it's a, uh, a busy day and a busy week for you guys. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Of course. Thank you so much.
That is Kelly Richardson joining us from the Mississippi Emergency Management Association. She's a meteorologist there and also public information officer. No, Colonel Michelle was on uh, Super Talk. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. I think he was on with uh, with Dave Hughes on the uh, the JT show yesterday. So. I uh, really f- appreciate the folks from uh, MEMA who are always uh, exceptionally kind with their time, uh, especially when tragedy is striking, uh, tragedy, inclement weather, whatever it is. Uh, they've always been good to uh, to join us to help you be informed as well. Um, might be uh, might be worth offering a prayer up for our uh, our native Mississippians. I say native Mississippians, the folks here in the state of Mississippi who are living along the Gulf Coast who uh, could potentially have a, uh, a long night. Kelly said a second ago, looked like, uh, you know, sometime after sunset. So uh, we're at about 6, 6.30 when it gets dark now. So in that 7 o'clock to midnight range. Um, interesting what she said, though, about, the, and, and I saw a quote from uh, John Bell Edwards, the governor in the state of Louisiana, uh, that said, you know, the, the biggest thing going for us, he was talking about New Orleans, city of New Orleans, is exactly what Kelly said a second ago. This storm's rolling. 25 miles an hour? I mean, it, it's getting on you quickly, but then it's also getting out quickly. And uh, so hopefully that is uh, that is good news. Anything to add, guys? Be glad when this year is over. <laughs> this has been ridiculous, man. Feel for all those people down there. Fifth named storm that has made landfall in the state of Louisiana this year. Mm. Not to completely turn the page, but I figured you would find this interesting. From front of the show, Ross Dellinger exclusive. Cardiologists are finding so few heart issues in athletes, they are no longer recommending screenings for most COVID positives. But we were... Never mind. So now, I mean, we already knew this. So now we're learning that the Big Ten is about to derail their entire season because of something they didn't even have to test for. Skip and Purvis on the C Spire text line. Richard, as I listen to your commentary on the woman beater... As you continue to say, if it's true, and how it's such a shame for him. If your wife was in the broadcast chair, would the conversation be the same? I doubt it. You need therapy. Okay. Appreciate your opinion, Skip. And appreciate you listening. I do. Uh, I think maybe, maybe I didn't do a good job of the points that I was making. Because I'm pretty sure the point that I made pretty clearly was if these allegations are true, and yes, I'm saying if because I didn't see it happen myself. And I'm kind of a proponent of letting the law enforcement process do its thing. Like investigations to happen in the justice system work to work. Also, it's, it's a little of, bit different in your position than texting into somebody that's in your position. There are some things, qualifiers, that you have to say when it hasn't been proven yet because if you sat here and called him what the texter called him and it ended up not being true, they could come after you and would win easily. Eh, so well, Theoretically, but well, that, be that 
as it may, I'm kind of a fan of letting the justice system do its job. And I think I was abundantly clear that if the allegations are true, it's not going to be my decision, but my opinion is Terrence Davis should never play in the NBA again. Somebody sent a message in as well. It says, uh, get help, Richard. How about jail? Uh, yes. Yes, if, it, if, it, if criminal charges, then he deserves to go to jail. How many? How much more clear do I have to be? Don't hit a girl. Don't hit a woman. I mean, you, you want to talk about in the galactically, I'm going to hear what I want to hear world. That's where you guys are living. Wrapping up the 4 o'clock hour with you, it is Sports Talk Mississippi. We will have our semi-regular chat with Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham coming up to start the 5 o'clock hour. That will serve today as your college football fix, which, as you know, every day is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. It is truck month. Not for a whole lot longer. I mean, we only got three days left in October. But it is truck month, and that means there's good savings on the F-150, the Ranger, and the Super Duty. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Don't forget, you can also be part of the show via the Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Guys, you know what I had for breakfast this morning, in part? Bacon. Mm, bacon! Which is a good time to remind you that we're celebrating National Pork Month and reintroducing you to real pork. Today, let's uh, celebrate everything that is real about pork, real stories, real pig farmers, and the real way people feel when they enjoy the authentic flavors of pork. Go to pork.org slash real-pork to learn more. Bacon! Oh, that was great. Tango, that made some... uh, Homemade banana muffins this morning. A little bacon. Nice cup of coffee. It's a good way to start the day. Good way to start the day. Um, Are we in like just a little bit of a sports lull? I mean, sitting on a Wednesday. We don't have Maction yet. World Series is over. We need one more game to, I guess, to get us back to Thursday before we roll into another football weekend. I saw a tweet. This is the first day in like three months without a football, basketball, or baseball game of any kind. Well, that makes this not a great day, doesn't it? There was Champions League soccer earlier today. I watched that. Yeah. Is it good? It was great. Chelsea won. Chelsea wins 4 0. Who did they play? I'm looking at the uh, the abbreviation on the stat line, and it just says Hold that on. they beat FCK 4-zip. Hold on a second. Let me uh, see if I can phonetically make this work. Kronosdar. They're a Russian team. Say, so where are they from? Russia. Mm. Russia. game was played in front of fans, too. Yes, played in Mother Russia in front of 10,000 people. Yeah, haven't they had, um, haven't they had pretty good... Attendances for these Champion Leagues games as they've kind of gotten rolling again? The ones that have had attendance, yeah, they, they've, they've been all right. Like Chelsea played in England last week, and they, they still don't have fans in the stands there. Where are they allowing fans? 
I guess in Russia, maybe some of the Eastern European countries. Mm. Gotcha. So what do you watch tonight? Rerun? Is it Bachelor on? That's a good question. Dancing with the Stars or somebody's got talent? Well, I got availability with MSU's assistant coaches, so I'll be watching hopefully what Zach Arnett has to say. What's Zach Arnett going to say about trying to stop Alabama? We're terrible. We're not any good. They're going to kill us. He's very matter-of-fact. Wait, is that his kind of deal? Yeah, he's yeah. He's every week, Matthew. Oh, every week he comes out and he's like, "Ah, oh, well, I, I think I, 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 you may have been off when I told told Borky this story, but before the Texas A and M game, we were asking him questions and we're like, so coach, you know, three games in, you're ranked this, this, and this, and defensive stats. Well, you know, we're only three games in; it's way too early for that. Two seconds later, we're asking about Texas A and M. Well, if you look, they're ranked this, this, and this. <laughs> it's the same number of games. So yeah, Zach Arnett, uh, he, he like he he is an old school coach for sure. Very. Not not a lot of uh not a lot of uh polish for him on on terms of he he gives it to you straight I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't want to uh, I don't want to steal Borky's Friday Thunder on two questions. I'm not going to do that. But I am curious what it. Mississippi State's get to do defensively to give themselves a chance. I mean, is it pressure on Mac Jones? Is it that 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 strikes me as the first thing? Is yeah. Put some pressure on him. See if he can force a a turnover or two, and go from there. I mean, how pretty good like, against the run. So. Yeah, how would you like to draw up a game plan defensively right now against Alabama? Because I would not. It kind of starts with Najee Harris, I think, or I, I I don't know. Maybe it starts with Mac Jones, who really probably should be the Heisman front runner, but Trevor Lawrence is because Trevor Lawrence is. Mac Jones has been spectacular. Really has. There's one less weapon now with Jalen Waddell out. Still got some guys that can catch the football. And I guess John Mechie gets kind of pushed up the depth chart a little bit and will get more balls in his direction. Slade Bolden. Devontae Smith's so good. So smooth. Hmm. Big challenge. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ryan Brown joins us from the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham, WJOX. Always kind to visit with us. Their show, if uh, you happen to be listening, you can get it on the uh, Jocks Radio app. Is on from 6 until 10 in the morning. Do a uh, great job with uh, Lance and Jim Dunaway and, of course, Brownie. Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, if I send you an updated photo, can you guys update the little graphic you send out when I come on? Are you are yeah, you embarrassed by that photo, Ryan? Because I'm the one. I'm who not embarrassed. Those. I'm I'm not embarrassed by it. It's just it's a little old. I've got a new hairstyle since then, and I've grown a beard since then. So you know, I come on what, a good bit. So I figured you guys just want an updated photo, maybe. What What I'll do is I'll look at it, and if this one is better than the uh, the new one, 
I'm going to stick with, I won't go with the new one. You okay. see what I'm saying? Whatever makes you look worse, Ryan. That's what I'm going to go. Oh, that's, well, that's easy to do now. It's easy to make me look worse. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'll get you a new one, man. It does look like you're getting okay. ready to take fall family pictures in sepia tones in this one. Um, well, the one I'm going to send you is from a fall family photo. It's from, uh, it's a, it's a uh, little headshot I did during a Christmas card shot. But, you know, it's just more recent. It's from last, you know, November or whatever. There you go. Hey, um, are people still talking about the Ole Miss-Auburn game in the state of Alabama, or have they moved on? Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. They're talking about the controversial ending, obviously. Um, you know, it's kind of become a point of conversation in this state, driven in large part by Alabama fans, because Auburn has been the beneficiary of, of three very controversial calls this year that have gone their way and probably changed the outcome of at least two games. Um, I guess you'd have to say potentially. I mean, even in the Ole Miss game, Auburn would have been down eight with the ball. Um, you know, they would have had a chance, obviously, to tie it and get a two-point conversion. And based on the way they finished that game, I don't think that would have been an unreasonable uh, situation for Auburn. Uh, but the Arkansas game, you know, it certainly would have changed the outcome of that game had the call gone the other way. The other one was right before the half of the Kentucky game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably changes that game, but Auburn was the better team that day. So I don't, I don't think... I don't think anybody thinks that Kentucky would have gone on to win that game, but it's just remarkable that Auburn has had these three calls that have that have been monumental calls and and pretty big misses by the Southeastern Conference office. And in two cases, the SECs had to come out and admit that that they that they missed these calls. They didn't really with the Kentucky call. That one was that one was kind of odd, and it snuck under the radar a little bit because it was Week One. And but man, that was a weird call in that Kentucky game too. Probably where you're from, generally speaking, shapes how you you would answer this question. But when we were talking about this on Monday, I think Borky said if Ole Miss had been Alabama, and let's say that Alabama was playing whomever, whether they were playing Ole Miss or playing Auburn or playing Kentucky or whatever, and that play had happened, do you believe with Alabama on the field that play would have been stopped and reviewed by the replay officials. It's funny. We talked about that on the show today. We, we, we took, or not today, this week. We took two angles. Uh, one angle, uh, Lance, you mentioned one of my co-hosts, Lance Taylor, brought up the fact that if it were Alabama getting the benefit of these three calls, it'd be the biggest story in the country. And I think he's mm-hmm. probably right about that because there has been the image that the SEC office being in Birmingham um, has, has benefited Alabama over the years. But if Alabama had gotten the three beneficial calls that Auburn got, it would be the biggest story in the country. And then we did discuss the same thing you discussed, that if it were Dabo Swinney or Nick Saban or Ryan Day, if it were one of the nation's premier programs on the other sideline, would you have stopped and looked at it? And, you know, I, I, I'm not certain the SEC wanted to replay that. And, and here's why. Because I think once you get into the 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 ruling of the obvious, you know, the continuation basically after the whistle and the obvious recovery, which Ole Miss obviously recovered the ball. But one of the indicators that the SEC and professional officials look at in that is did the whistle cause a guy to stop that could have potentially recovered the ball? And once the players stop, and, and I had an official tell me this in the Arkansas-Auburn play, that once those guys stop, it's going to be really difficult for the replay official to re- even reward an obvious recovery. Well, in the Auburn Ole Miss play, you know, Shiver stops even before the whistle. He turns and he tells on himself a little bit because he turns to run to the end zone to get the ball. 
He sprints like he for five from, yards. Yeah, yeah, but then it's almost Richard like he stops to say, oh, no, 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 I didn't touch it. I'm, I'm just kidding. Then the whistle blows. Then there's an obvious recovery by Ole Miss in the end zone. And I know Ole Miss fans listening to this are like, yeah, that should be our ball and should be a touchdown. But I, you do, by the way the rules are administered, get into a little bit of gray area there. And I, I just don't think the SEC really wanted to get in that gray area. If the whistle never blows and they go to the replay and say, okay, the whistle didn't blow, we don't know if he touched it or not, I think it becomes much easier. But once there's a whistle and a guy stops and now I've got a rule, an obvious recovery, clear and obvious recovery, I get in some gray area pretty quickly, and I, I just honestly think they would rather not have to review those types of plays. I feel like you might be giving the replay official more credit, though, than processing all of that information in the 48 and a half seconds that it took from the time the whistle blew until Auburn snapped the ball again to not hit the replay. Or, or not, not hit the button to, hey, let's take a, a further look at it. So why would you think they wouldn't? I have no idea. Like, um, like I mean, I, mean I, I guess what you're saying makes sense. I just don't feel like. All right, how do I want to say this? <laughs> Replay officials look at stuff all the time, Ryan. That right. most of us that follow football can watch a replay two, three, maybe four times at the most and have an opinion definitively one way or the other. And it feels like common sense should take over. And yet the replay official can pause this thing and look at it from 14 different angles for two and a half or three minutes and still come up with a different conclusion than all of us who watch football and think we know what we're seeing and talking about all the time. They come up with a different answer. Yeah, and especially so, in targeting. Yeah, especially in targeting. So yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure that the, the cognitive well, abilities are there to process all of what you said and go, okay, maybe the league would prefer that we not get into this situation because what if this happened and what if this happened? And okay, I'm going to consciously not buzz down to take a look at this again. So another theory that was floated by some callers on our show, and this actually even came from some Auburn callers, and I don't dis- I don't agree with this one. But one theory that was floated was that um, the SEC is, uh, with these early games, they want to protect their TV windows, so they want to get these early games done. So the quicker they can rush through the 11 o'clock game, so let's don't stop it for anything that is not obvious. Now, here's why I don't buy into that. Because, first of all, the CBS game may say 2.30 on it. You know good and well that game doesn't kick till 2.40 or 2.45. Uh, that was an 11 o'clock kick. The next SEC network game doesn't start till 3. So we're not running into any other windows here. And if ever you were going to stop it, like sometimes I get frustrated when a, a team completes a 50-yard bomb, it's a bang-bang catch, they're rushing to the line of scrimmage, we stop it, and now all the momentum's gone. There was no momentum there. That was a, that was a, a change of possession after a kickoff. I mean, nothing Nothing was going to get slowed down. In fact, there are times when, when CBS is behind on breaks, and I know this is an SEC Network game, but when CBS is behind on breaks, there's a lot of times they'll do kickoff, they'll do, they'll do scoring play, commercial, kickoff, commercial, then offensive possession starts. So if yeah. ever you were going to stop a game for a replay, that was a perfect time to do it. No, I agree. And, and a point that Lane Kiffin made after the fact, and he said hypothetically that was a scoring play and they review all scoring plays. I mean, how many times do we True. watch – a touchdown that is not a controversial touchdown where we see the umpire stand over the ball for 30 seconds before they allow the ball yep. to be snapped for an extra point. 
You're right. And, that, and Lane Kiffin's got a point. And that is a scoring place for Ole Miss if, if, if you overrule it. Um, and, and, you know, it happened again. I, I don't know if you – well, you were at the stadium. You probably didn't. But some of your listeners probably flipped over to Bama, Tennessee. And very early in that game, there's a targeting call that goes to replay that looked like the textbook version of targeting. They overturned that. There's uh, a Najee Harris play where it looked like he 100% scored. Uh, and they they didn't even review that. It was almost like they just assumed Alabama was going to score anyway because their yeah. offense is so good. It, it it does seem like it's being administered inconsistently, and there are times where there are times where everybody watches what looks to be. It's what I've always said about the catch no catch rules. What we as fans and the catch no catch rules. I want it if it looked like a catch to me. It should be a catch. Well. You can't word the rules that way. you got to have something that indicates it's a catch or not, right? But I think yeah. that's the way we are. If it looks like targeting, I want it to be targeting. If it looks like he touched the ball, I want it to be ruled that he touched the ball. And replay just doesn't work that way. One of, one of my listeners a long time ago, and, and the more I watch football, the more I think he might be right, he said his big issue with instant replay is that the officials go into instant replay assuming the call they got was right, and we need 100% evidence to overturn it. He said, why would you not go to instant replay saying, we don't know if we got it right or not. Let's watch the replay and see what actually happened. Yeah. One more question for you on uh, on this topic when we come back from a uh, from a short break, and then we'll get into uh, Alabama-Mississippi State this weekend and some of the other things that are happening in the SEC. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable on your radio. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, continuing our conversation on the Farm Bureau phone line with Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. So so last question on the officials and replay and league office and, and whatnot. Why do we treat the officials like they are international espionage people <laughs> who, if we find out anything about them or we admit wrongdoing, we're worried about having to go to The Hague for war crimes. <laughs> Why is it that they are held to such a different standard? I mean, Borky made the point, and I thought this was a really good one. Matt Corral had to sit in a press conference and talk about what he did in the game and where he messed up. Lane Kiffin has to do that. If Alabama, God forbid, loses a game, Nick Saban has to answer questions about it. Why is it that we treat officials so differently when they screw up? Um, It's a great question. I don't know. I don't know if we fear for – I mean, look, I'm going to be honest with you now. I, well, I'll say this. I'm, I may or, name, may or may not play golf sometimes at a golf course where Saturday's head official for the Auburn Ole Miss game plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may, I may or may not know him personally. Um, I, I know, look, there are a number of these guys that live in Birmingham or the Birmingham area. That's a, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys that, that Which that some do. people have an issue with, by the way. Um, I, and I can't say, I think I saw a study one time where the most SEC officials lived and Alabama definitely led the pack. Um, the state of Alabama. I don't know why I said the state of like, what, what else would I be referring to there? Uh, they don't live at the University of Alabama, although I'm sure some fans throughout the conference. Are you sure, Robert? <laughs> yeah, I know. I walked right into that one, didn't I? Um, 
you know, I, and I know some of these officials, and they've gotten, uh, for instance, I know a, a guy that he's no longer an SEC official, but he worked the kick six game. And that there was really nothing at all controversial about that specific play in the kick six game. There were controversial plays um, during that game. And, you know, he called grief from people he, he knew. I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy on him. Yeah. Um, now, some would say, well, look, if you're going to take the paycheck, you know that comes with the paycheck. I, I don't know if we fear for their safety because this is, you know, this is big money. These are highly charged emotional games. And, you know, if we publicize these guys and where they live, you know, somebody can go knock on their front door and punch them out. I, you know, I don't know. Um, some would suggest that you keep it kind of quiet because of the gambling interest. You know, you don't want you don't want to publicize who's officiating these games and where they live at all because you don't want somebody that has any sort of gambling interest to get to a referee. Um, I'm sure you could come up with a lot of reasons why they don't do it, but I, I don't know a reason you can't have the head official sit down at that same microphone Matt Corral was at after a game and answer questions from you or you know Neil McCready or anybody in the media over in Mississippi as to why the call went the way it did. Yeah. It just feels like, I mean, we, we talk so much about transparency and, and how transparency eliminates the perception of impropriety, whether it's, it's real or imagined. It, it just takes it away. And I feel like, and, and maybe you think I'm crazy here, but I feel like if the SEC or the officials would own mistakes instead of hiding behind word salad tweets and emails where they cite rule-26.14-22a, that people would be more forgiving. Be like, say, well, we missed it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You're still going to get mad, but, you know, at some point yeah. you settle down and you're like, well, they admitted they screwed it up, you know. I mean, so it doesn't put the points on the board, but at least they owned it. Uh, and, and I don't know what the harm would be, and John McDade, the head of officials, or, or, you know, when it was Steve Shaw before he moved to the NCAA role, look, in a game like that, you know, when the game is over and, and the media's had a chance to talk to Lane Kiffin and Gus Malzahn and the associated players, we're doing everything by Zoom now. Shut the dude up on a Zoom. And let Ole Miss reporters or Auburn reporters, whoever, fire off questions and get the answers. I mean, wh- why wait and put out a statement later that night? Why, you know, not let this guy answer questions? If he's, I think he graduated from Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's probably a pretty smart guy. And if you trust him enough to head up your officiating crews, do you not trust him to talk to members of the media and answer questions? Um, I, I just, I've never understood why they're not a little bit more transparent and making a the guy that's the head of the officials a little more available to the media to at least explain, because it could help you, by the way. I mean, he, there could have been a rule in there that nobody knew about. If he comes on and explains it, and here's why it was ruled the way it was ruled, you know, Ole Miss fans may be like, well, that sucks. I hate that rule, but I guess they administered it the right way. Yeah. And and, and I do think it's important, and I mentioned this on Monday, and, and this will be kind of the last thing here. We'll move on. Um, it wasn't Mark Curls that messed that up. It was the replay no, official, not at all. Who, who is even yeah. more nameless and faceless than the guys that are on the field. Exactly. And Mark Curls, who I was referencing earlier, he's a super guy, by the way, great guy. Um, <laughs> Mark here in Birmingham, you know, he's behind Sean Shivers. He can't see that it touched his hand. Right. And the reason, and, and let me just, just say this, Richard, the reason he's blowing the whistle so quickly is because the rule that if the ball is untouched and goes into the end zone becomes an automatic touchback, that's a new rule that was put in for safety reasons so that the play would be blown dead and you don't have guys screaming down the field blowing people up. So he is instructed to, as soon as that ball gets in the end zone, blow the whistle so the play's dead and guys don't get hurt. 
Um, you know, that, that's one of those situations where because of safety concerns, we've traded, you know, one rules issue for another one. And rarely does it rear its head, but it did in Oxford on Saturday. Thoughts on Mississippi State in Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Obviously, this Alabama team is is clicking on all cylinders. They are now without Jalen Waddell. Uh, maybe start there. How big of an impact is that to Alabama offensively? Well, I think it's big. John Mechie will take his place, and uh, Slay Bolden will kind of be more of the slot guy. And Mechie is a very good receiver. If I think Ole Miss fans saw some of him in the Alabama Ole Miss game. Um, yeah. he, he, you know... It, Look, Alabama is so deep at receiver. I, you, you don't replace a Jalen Waddle. That's a first-round NFL draft pick. Um, those guys don't grow in trees, obviously. He's a fantastic receiver and kick returner. So you're not going to replace him, but I don't think Alabama's offense is going to drop off much without him. I, I think where you miss him most, obviously, Matthew will have to convince defensive coordinators that he deserves the same type of coverages and attention that Jalen Waddle got on deep balls. So that, you know, he'll, he'll have to prove that. And I think he can. I think where you'll lose a lot with Waddle is Steve Sarkeesian was using him so much in the eye candy portion of the game, putting him in motion, creating alignment situations with him that forced defenses to make critical decisions based on where he was. And until Mechie can prove that he's that type of player, defensive coordinators won't have to do that. So Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to go back to the lab and figure out how to you know create those alignments and do those motions, um, you know, without Jalen Waddle and still create those types of situations that are beneficial for the offense. But I think the biggest concern for Mississippi State and the rest of the SEC has to be at least over the last game and a half, Alabama's defense has improved drastically. Yeah. Something happened at halftime of the Georgia game, and they are playing much better defense. And if they can match just a top-half SEC defense with the offense they've got right now, they are going to be really, really difficult to beat. We got a really interesting question, I thought, on the C Spire text line earlier in the show today, and that is, is Alabama going to play Alabama defense, or are they going to replicate what has been so successful against Mississippi State over the last three, four ball games, where you rush three and drop eight? Um, I would, you know, that is against Nick Saban's style. You know, he likes right. pressures from the secondary and things like that. And generally against this type of offense, you really don't want to give up guys from the secondary. Um, it, it's a great question. And I, I don't really know the answer. Alabama doesn't pressure the quarterback that great anyway with their defensive front. Um, so part of you wants to say, you know, you just follow, you replicate what everybody else has done. You, you rush the three, you're not getting a lot of contact on the passer anyway. So rush the three. and Well, and people have when they've rushed three, though. That's the crazy thing. Well, they have. Yeah, they have. And, and again, though, now Alabama hasn't been able to really do that consistently with a defensive front. Um, but you're right. Other teams have been able to do that against Mississippi State. So, I mean, Saban's a smart defensive guy. I, I, I don't think he's adverse to looking at what has worked against other teams and trying to make it work. Um, but he can also be a little bit stubborn with his defensive system, and and rightfully so. It's been really successful for a lot of years. Um, but but I don't think he's adverse to looking at, hey, this has worked elsewhere. Let's make it work here. Now, he doesn't have a storied history against the air raid. It's not like he's faced this offense an awful lot, you know, at LSU and at Alabama and with the Miami Dolphins. So it's it's probably he probably had to blow some dust off the old air raid uh, air raid playbook. 30 seconds or so left. Are you more impressed with Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri or Sam Pittman at Arkansas so far this year? I think Sam Pittman at Arkansas. I think he's um, I think he's just working out of a deeper hole. 
And maybe it was just that I expected less out of him because he was in the West. But I think I would go Sam Pittman at Arkansas. If that call goes right for him in the Auburn game, they're three and one. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. I, I, I think he would be my coach of the year right now. But you got to give Drinkwitz credit. I just, God, Kentucky's offense is so bad, man. 150 yards. That's just, it's incredible how bad they are. And I guess the Joey Gatewood era is about to uh, begin at Kentucky. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Can't get worse. Can't get worse. Yeah. Good luck as you head to Athens with that, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Bad time to start it. Ryan, always appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. All right, boys. Y'all be good. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable at WJOX in Birmingham. They are on from 6 until 10, along with Jim Dunaway and Lance Taylor. He joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Lots of unpack there. We'll be right back. I guess given the world that we are living in, it should have been expected that the conversation post-World Series Game 6, Dodgers win a title for the first time in 32 years last night. Because of what happened with Justin Turner during the game, where he was pulled from the game in the seventh inning after being notified of a positive COVID test, I, I guess I should not be surprised how quickly the conversation changed to what a big deal this was. They should strip him of the title, in my opinion. I kind of rolled my eyes. Solution. Can we just mute Hey Dad's mic for a second? <laughs> Done. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kind of rolled my eyes at how quickly this became the dominant story. Justin Turner. A test came back positive in the seventh inning, and we had to pull him out of the game. And Okay, somebody tested positive for COVID. Welcome to 2020. I mean, come on. That was my reaction. You may have reacted the same way. You may have reacted differently. How about this story today, though? Justin Turner violated coronavirus protocols when he celebrated on the Globe Life Field with his Los Angeles Dodger teammates, and he refused instructions from security to leave the field, behavior that Major League Baseball said risked the safety of others. (sighs) MLB says immediately upon receiving notice from the laboratory of a positive test, protocols were triggered leading to the removal of Justin Turner from last night's game. Turner was placed into isolation for the safety of those around him. However, following the Dodgers' victory, it is clear that Turner chose to disregard the agreed-upon joint protocols and the instructions he was given regarding the safety and protection of others. While a desire to celebrate is understandable, Turner's decision to leave isolation and enter the field was wrong and put everyone he came in contact with at risk. When MLB security raised the matter of being on the field with Turner, he emphatically refused to comply. Here's the deal. When the final out of that game was recorded last night, Justin Turner became a free agent. His four-year, $64 million contract ended when that game ended last night. He is 35 years old. He has been a massive part of the Dodgers organization. He has been part of the heartbreak that Haydad has reveled in for the last half-dozen years. And he was a big part of the reason that they won the World Series. Didn't have, like, blow-you-away great numbers in the regular season. But in the postseason, he was 17 for 58 with three home runs and six runs driven in. And in the uh, World Series, he hit 320 with a pair of solo shots. 
He was a big part of the Dodgers' success. Can anybody with a straight face blame Justin Turner for going and joining his teammates on the field for a celebration after they won the World Series? USA Today has a column right now that says uh, the, the, the writer is now broken, and his reaction last night is a reflection of society that we don't care about anybody else but ourselves. I think it's just the Dodgers. But um, Newsflash? You know who he went to celebrate with? His teammates. And you know who he had been exposed to and had been around in the bubble <laughs> for the last month? His teammates. It was probably too late by then. They do change in the same locker room and stuff. So... I have two very polar opposite feelings on this one. Uh, on one hand, if I myself tested positive, I would isolate from everybody for the period of time I am told to isolate from everybody. I would do that because I think it's the right thing to do. I would do that. I would. However, if I was one of his teammates, and I know that he has tested positive you know what I'm doing after we win the World Series? I'm giving him a big old hug. And when we get done and we get home, I'll probably isolate for two weeks, make sure the beer's flowing. And I, I am willing to take that quarantine period if that means my teammate gets to celebrate with us after winning a World Series. And maybe that's a really stupid thing to say out loud. I don't care. If that was my teammate and I'm a Dodger and I had changed in the locker room with him that day and I had been in the dugout with him, the likelihood of me having close contact with the guys really high already, I'm okay with him coming out there. If it means I have to isolate for a few days by myself, I'll be fine because I got to celebrate with my boy. That might be really stupid to say out loud, but if I was one of his teammates, that's what my thought process would have been. It's not stupid to say out loud. Not at all. Because I think that's how most people feel about it. I, and most, maybe it's not most. Bob Nightingale, who is a pretty darn good baseball writer at USA Today. He's one of the best things USA Today's got going. But listen to this. Major League Baseball was just two innings away from pulling off an upset, completing its 2020 season in the middle of a global pandemic. It was showing the world that it was possible to safely return to work, providing health and safety protocols are followed. A phone call and subsequent irresponsible actions left a scar for all of the world to see. Did it? I'm hurt. Did, I mean, did it? Did that leave a scar for all of the world to see? Nope. Or did a guy who had just spent the last four years making $64 million and being an integral part of the success of the Los Angeles Dodgers decide that he was going to go celebrate with his teammates, who he had already been around an hour and a half earlier even? He wore a mask onto the field, tried to kind of steer clear of the people that he came in contact with who weren't his teammates, and he took his mask off for a team picture. The horror. Glad you understand. Oh, the horror. 
Well, Richard, you're making light of COVID. No, I'm not really making light of COVID. I'm more making light of the reaction to it. Yes, people have gotten very sick. Yes, people have died. I understand that. And those things are tragic. The deaths are tragic. The people that have been really, really sick from it, that's awful. But get a grip. Stop taking yourself so incredibly seriously. Well, some of the quotes from Rob Friedman, the GM of the Dodgers, or the president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, were pretty on point. Having a mask on and staying socially distanced, he wanted to come out and take a picture with the trophy, which I can't state strongly enough how big of a role he's played in the success of this organization. I think for him, just being a free agent, not knowing exactly how the future is going to play out, I don't think there was anyone that was going to stop him from going out. I think from at least my perspective and not watching it super closely with everything going on, but I think he was mindful of other people, especially other people that he hadn't already been in contact with. This is something that we're going to wrap our arms around tonight and in the morning and figure out where we're going from here. Friedman said if there are people around him without masks, that's not good optics at all. I haven't seen them, so it's hard for me to speak to it specifically. I'd find him like $150 million, too. <laughs> we, we can't let this terror, terrorizing of a franchise continue. Maybe a two-year postseason ban. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Just spitballing. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by the reaction. And look, maybe I'm maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong here. Maybe Borky's in the wrong here. I don't think we I don't think we feel differently than a lot of you. Here's one that says, "Tell them to get over themselves already." Amen. Here's one that says, "Y'all know uh, this is from Jason. I know I'm as safety oriented as almost anyone regarding this virus, but I'm sick to death of these BS overreactions." TV reporters wearing a mask in front of the camera with nobody else around them. Isolating immediately upon test results from people you're already around. They've already been exposed. Somebody sent us a message that eight months of dodging COVID, less than 4% of Mississippians have tested positive. How long do we do this? J.R. in Starkville says it's all about control. Bert says, I say go ahead and celebrate with the team. The city of Los Angeles should postpone the parade celebration for two weeks while players quarantine problem solved. They're going to postpone it longer than that. There's even been some loose conversation about whether or not they just do a joint Dodgers-Lakers parade. Boy, you want to talk about being a conflicting event for Brian Haydad. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Not safe for me. Mike says, as long as they didn't give teammates kisses like Matt. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think Magic gave Isaiah all is good. Mm. Jeff says, OMG, he's a super spreader. Somebody says, it's like closing the barn door after the horses have already gotten out. 
Great analogy. We'll wrap it up next. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.